It's a blessing to be here and just uh, speak on uh, the goodness of God and the grace of God. I trust that you will be deeply uh, impacted by this message. Uh, today I'm going to be speaking on the law that God will write on your heart and uh, what that is all about. You know, we've had this whole concept of, um, you know, uh, we were under the Ten Commandments and we had to obey the Ten Commandments and now God has come and He has fulfilled all of that. And now He will write the Ten Commandments on your heart and now you will want to do the right thing. And then um, you are still under that law, you're still under that, uh, that thing. The only difference is now it is not in a written code outside but inside. And we're going to look a little bit at that and, um, and see if that is true and see what God actually mean when He spoke about bringing His law to our hearts. We're going to look at what is the law of God. We're going to look at what, what was the written, the, the, the written law. We're going to look at where did the law come from? From where does the law come? Uh, is, is the law, I mean, it had to have an origin. Where does it come from? And how does it apply to us today? Right, so let us pray. Father, I want to thank you so much that I can be here. Holy Spirit, thank you that you speak powerfully through me today. And every person that is here will be deeply impacted by your word. Uh, Lord, we are here to just uh, experience your quality of life. That's what it's all about at the end of the day. And I thank you that you've come to share that uh, with us. Amen. Amen. Right, um, if we, I want to start off by looking at um, what Jesus Christ came to do. If Jesus Christ, he came, this thing is on a switch page, now for some reason. Jesus Christ came to this earth for a purpose. The reason why he came to this earth um, is clearly stated in John 6, verse 38. And they asked him, you know, the people uh, impacted by this message. Uh, today I'm going to be speaking on the law that God will write on your heart and uh, what that is all about. You know, we've had this whole concept of, um, you know, uh, we were under the Ten Commandments and we had to obey the Ten Commandments and now God has come and He has fulfilled all of that and now He will write the Ten Commandments on your heart and now you will want to do the right thing and then um, you are still under that law, you're still under that that thing. The only difference is now it is not in a written code outside but inside. And we're going to look a little bit at that and, um, and see if that is true and see what God actually mean when He spoke about bringing His law to our hearts. We're going to look at what is the law of God. We're going to look at what, what was the written, the, the, the written law. We're going to look at where did the law come from? From where does the law come? Uh, is, is the law, I mean, it had to have an origin. Where does it come from? And how does it apply to us today? Right, so let us pray. Father, I want to thank you so much that I can be here. Holy Spirit, thank you that you speak powerfully through me today. And every person that is here will be deeply impacted by your work. Uh, Lord, we are here to just uh, experience your quality of life. That's what it's all about at the end of the day. And I thank you that you've come to share that uh, with us. Amen. 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 Right. Um, if we, I want to start off by looking at um, what Jesus Christ came to do. If Jesus Christ, he came, this thing is on a switch page now for some reason. Jesus Christ came to this earth for a purpose. The reason why he came to this earth 
uh, is clearly stated in John 6, verse 38. And they asked Jesus, they came to Jesus, said, Jesus, what shall we do to work all the works of God? And then Jesus said, this is what God's busy with. This is God's work. To get you to believe in Jesus. Okay. Now I'm just using my own words there. But if I quote from the King James, they said this. They said, they came to him and said, what? Jesus tell us what are the, what shall we do to do all the works of God? And Jesus said, this is God's work. That you Believe on Him whom He has sent. He didn't say this is the work you must do to believe on Him whom He has sent. He said, this is the work of God. What must we do to fulfill all the works of God? In other words, what, must, what is the end goal of God with man in, in, in this whole thing? Where does God want to see us? And then Jesus said, this is God's work. This is what God is busy with. Is to get you to trust in Jesus. That's it. So, you know, we've even made faith a law. <laughs> Isn't it? You need, you need to have all this faith. And if you don't have that faith, then God is not for you. God is not with you. God is against you. And you haven't had faith. You know, it was almost like we were under the laws. And then, if we don't obey the law, then God will not bless us. Now we're going to look at that today. That is actually the, the concept of having a law and obeying that law, and then God will bless us if we obey the law. It's also the twisted concept from what Adam and Eve actually uh, implemented and what Satan um, brought. Um, and then we've taken that, we don't live under the law, we now under a new law. It's the law of faith. And that law of faith is, I must believe, and this is how we basically saw it. It is like, God says, I will come, and what I will do is, I will make it very easy for you. I will say to you, you must trust me, and then if I see you trust me enough, then I will bless you. <laughs> that is, that's really um, uh, how it is. Now, uh, in... I mean, I preach on, on Facebook and the internet and, uh, a lot, and, and my ministry is basically mainly on, on the web. And uh, the moment you start to touch on faith, people get scared. Because they are saying, you're saying you don't need faith to be saved. And that is not what I'm saying. So please, if you are here, I'm not saying you don't need faith to be saved. I want to just explain how God made it possible for us to have faith. Without faith in Christ, you cannot be saved. That is as simple as what it is. But the thing is, we don't pay God with faith. <laughs> you know, I don't, no person uh, in a relationship, which is a love, a healthy love relationship, is going to say to his child, well, I want to see if you trust me, and if you trust me, then you will be blessed. Then I will bless you. It's not the way it works. The way faith works is, if I have truth and you trust me, then that truth has entered your heart. And because it's entered your heart, you are blessed. Right. Are you understanding what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. It is it's very close but very far apart. 
<laughs> it sounds the same if you try to verbalize it, but it's actually just a very simple, uh, it's actually a, 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 a very far apart, and a very simple thing. So, um, I, I, God is not in heaven, and then we pay him with faith points, and when we've got enough faith points, five, it takes five faith points to get a car, ten, <laughs> many faith points to get healing, and a hundred faith points to get salvation. You know, that's not how it works. And if we don't have enough, then God refuses. That's not how faith works. Faith works this way. God has done something. He's already done something. And our persuasion of that truth makes that truth enter our hearts. And then we live from that truth. That's how faith works. I mean, I've had many debates about this with from, a uni from universalism, which would be, people say, everybody would be saved, to people that are are heavy to the law about faith. The one person, faith is a demand. It's demand that the other one says, man, faith is not needed. You know? It, it is just... The, 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 but I do believe it is needed, but we must ask why, and we must understand the dynamics of it. Yes. It's like the old South Africa, you know, we were under the apartheid system. One of the greatest things I find in South Africa, and I'm sure you'll find it in, in, in Canada as well, when you look at the... Um, you know, the, the, the natives that lived here in America, and the Indian people that lived there, and how, um, and, and what happened, you know, even with slavery. If you look at all of those kind of things, you come to the, you, you come and say, well, you know, what has happened there is not right, and let's make an end to it, and let's end slavery, let's end all those things. And the greatest thing after the truth, after the reality that that slavery was ended, the greatest thing, from there on would be for those that live after that time to really believe it's over. Yeah. Amen. It doesn't, it, 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 the, it, it works this way. If, if, I don't, if I believe apartheid is over, what I, or the way you see this this way, uh, traditionally in Christianity, is that God would come and He would say, well, okay, apartheid is over, for those who believe, but the rest still live under apartheid. <laughs> you know, so it's almost as the government will still enforce apartheid on those that don't believe apartheid is over. But that's not how it works. Apartheid is ended. Yeah. 1994, 95, it's ended. It's over. And for 20 years now, we've been preaching, 22 years, we've been preaching, I'm talking about the government now. They've been preaching the message that apartheid is over and that you are free. And you know how difficult these people believe that? Because you have political parties that say it's not over. Others will say it is over. And you sit with people's hearts that are mixed. Apartheid will not end the moment you stop, at the moment you believe it's over. It has already stopped. But what is needed is your faith. It, the, the, the end of a part of freedom can only enter the heart of the person who can really believe it is over. That's how it works. It is not the government demanding faith and then they will end the apartheid in your life. Are you understanding what I'm saying? Yeah. It is us appropriating what is already true. That is how we function as human beings. We are just beings that need to be persuaded of a certain thing and from that persuasion we have life. Now, the, the way 
God made man was, um, let me put it this way, God sits with a problem, if you want to call it that. He's got this problem, and that is that He's the only being in existence that possesses immortality. He's the only being that can live forever. He's the only immortal. So, the only way, and, and if He wants friends, if He wants, if the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit wants other beings to live eternally, the only way it can take place is if that being, if He can enter that being. Now, if I want friends, the only way I can have a, I mean, imagine I, I, can, I can make a, a, let's make this pulpit, you know, or I can have a tree out there. And that tree, that tree out there can be beautiful to me. And I can, imagine I can grant it eternal life. And that tree can exist forever. It will forever just be a beautiful tree. But in order to have fellowship and friendship, you will have to have someone that is like you. In other words, you will have to have reason, understanding. You will have to have a, a, a heart that can trust and believe. You will be able to have, an, you must have an intellect where we can communicate and all those kind of things. You will have to have all those things. So, in order to be, for God to have a meaningful relationship with, it, with someone, He had to bring forth somebody that's got a mind, a will, an intellect, emotions, feelings, a body, the ability to multiply and have other people like you, a family, and all of that. And then He had to enter that being. And the only way you can enter a being that is exactly like you, if you are a person that has got your own choice, and you're a person that lives from your heart or your belief, is that that person needs to be persuaded of you. And that is how God could enter someone. So He could make Adam and Eve alive, and here they are, and then He will present Himself to them, and as their minds can go to rest at the integrity of God, God actually then enters them and their life will be eternal. I, I hope you hear what I'm saying. So the big thing here for Adam and Eve was, and, um, was persuasion, faith. That's one of the greatest things in the Bible is faith. And we make faith trying to give God our undivided attention to persuade Him of who we are so that He can give us something. <laughs> That's the wrong thing. We don't need to persuade God by our faith. <laughs> our faith is when it's what is inside our hearts once God has already persuaded us of His love for us. How are you getting that? Are you making that? If you're not, you better get the, the message because I'm saying things I've never said before. I need to go listen to this myself. <laughs> so, when you look at faith, here God comes and He says, well, it's, it's like any relationship. Imagine, in order for me to have a companion in life that I can share my life with, um, you know, and that I can be one with, that person needs to have a mind, will, intellect, and all those kind of things. They have to be in human form. Because I live and move and have my being in human. So I will need a human. So when I, I can then, I, I, let's, let's take myself back years, 
I'm just just finished the South African Defence Force. Uh, that time it was compulsory. After that, I go to university, and I'm looking for someone that I can share my life with, and that they can share their life with me. I want that union. So where? So what am I looking at? I'm looking at all these girls that are walking at the university up and down. And I'm thinking, I would like a girl. And then I look at a girl and I think, that's a wonderful girl. And what will I do? I will then go and speak to her, present myself to her, be kind to her, be good to her, show her the best of me in the hope that she can trust me or believe in me. Because the moment she can believe in me, trust me, feel safe in my presence, then she can actually then become a partaker of my life. Now let me use, a, use a, a, a little bit of a different analogy. Imagine I was a farmer, a very wealthy farmer, and, or some businessman, and I, and I would like to share my life with somebody. I've got everything. The only way where I, wherein somebody can actually have my life is if they trust me. And it would be up to me to produce the trust in them. I must give them enough reason to trust me. And I must present them with so much reason to trust me that if they don't trust me, that I can only conclude that they don't want me. Are you understanding what I'm saying? So God had to come with Adam and Eve and He was presenting Himself. He was showing Himself. He came in the cool of the day. He showed His goodness. He, he created a heaven and an earth. He made everything to the point that there's only rest left. Only resting. You know, so He created Adam and Eve and after He created Him, He rested. So the only way forward was resting in this integrity and in this love of God. That was the only way forward. And then He came and He blessed Adam and Eve. When he, I mean, Adam and Eve, he made them and then He blessed them. The first thing they ever saw of God was God blessing them. God speaking well of them. God being there for them. God came in the cool of the day. It speaks of, of that, that peaceful atmosphere. It, it, it just brings forth that thing that when God and man came together, there was peace, there was calmness, there was tranquility. That is what there was. There was harmony. That's the idea. Because God knows, I'm working at these people that I've just created, that their hearts will be persuaded of who I am. Because in this, their lives can be eternally preserved. And then He even went so far and He said to Adam and Eve, Listen guys, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good evil. Because the day you eat thereof, you will surely die. So what is his work? He's, he's made a being. And when he made this being, this being was so beautiful to him that he said, I don't want to say, I do until death do us one. I want you to be eternal. I want you to live forever. Because I cannot just see a short life with you. I want you forever. Okay, so he said, don't eat of that, and I'm going to explain the whole thing, don't eat of that tree, because of that tree, then you're going to die, and I don't want that, I want you forever, and ever, and ever, I want my, I've got the, I'm the only immortal, and if you 
go and partake of another belief system and your heart is not established in my belief, then your heart will not allow me or the only life there is to actually live inside you. And you will die. And I cannot see that you will die. I don't want you to die. So, it was up to God, and God came and He's still busy today, persuading our hearts of His goodness. And He wants us to believe. And this is what He said. They said, what shall we work to work the works of God? And he says, this is God's work. That you believe on Him whom He has sent. And John 6 then they talks about how He will give life to people. John 6 talks about if you eat my flesh, you know, you will have eternal life. So what he's talking about there is bringing life again to man. That man will not die, but that man will eternally live. In the same way as what, um, let me put it this way, it's like, let's say somebody's got cancer, and you've now discovered this new diet that cures cancer. What, you, what would you do, what would the number one thing be that you would want to do if your wife, or your child has got cancer. If, if, if my son is already a grown-up, he has his own kids, and he's got cancer, you know, and, and I've discovered this thing that cures cancer, I've seen testimonies of it, you know what I will go and do? I will go and tell him. But what would the main purpose be? I want to tell him in a way that he can believe it. Because if he can believe it, then this truth will live in him. And he will not die. And he will live. Are you understanding this whole thing about God <laughs> wanted to produce faith and how important faith is? Because when we can trust God, then the only immortal can live in us and we can share in his immortality. Otherwise, we're going to die. And that death there is not God being angry. It is simply because we are made out of something that wasn't eternal, called dust. So that's it. It's got nothing to do with an angry God. When we talk about the wrath of God, and, and um, you guys must please go online or go to BertieBrits.com or DynamicMinistries.com and in the search type in uh, Vengeance of God or Wrath of God. I've got a lot of teachings on that. The wrath of God was this. When Adam and Eve came and they partook of the system wherein death started to come over them, God's wrath was, this death will die. I will destroy death. In His anger, He swore and He said, if you don't believe, you will not enter into my rest. What it means is, God was saying, God was saying two things. He said, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is not going to exist forever. It's going to die. And everything that comes from it is going to die. Because I don't want that. Second thing that he comes is he says, I'm going to destroy death. When Adam and Eve came and they entered into that, they said, I don't want you to eat of the tree of the knowledge of, good, of, of life, for you will eternally live in misery. What God was saying is, I'm not willing to give life to what is destroying you. I don't want you to live in this eternal torture every day. I don't want that. I want that to come to an end. What God said is, I will destroy what destroys people. So, here we see a God that is very faithful. The God says they're very kind. And He wants you, 
He wants your life to be born from His goodness and His love when you trust Him. Now, let me summarize this first part and then I'm going to explain what the tree of knowledge of good and evil is and why it's significant to know this. In summary, the reason why um, God wants us to have faith is, be is because of design. It is our design. We are a being that beholds something, it must make sense to us, our heart must be persuaded of it in order to appropriate it, in order to make use of it. It's not because he tries to be difficult. It's because of design. Because it's like, if I want to have a good relationship and I want to share my life with someone else, that person needs to be of my design. And since I am a being that needs to be persuaded, that lives from my heart, I'm going to have to have someone else that also lives from their heart and needs to be persuaded in order to have a meaningful relationship. And in my case, it would be a human. So God, and since we live and move and have our being in God, and we are the God kind, God came and He needed someone like Him, and so now He's got the job of persuading this heart. He's got the job of persuading this heart. So if we believe God, if Adam can trust God, who God is will enter them. The, God made them alive, but this life He made will be eternally preserved by the only immortal that's now indwelling them. Okay, so here Satan comes. So what would be the number one thing to cause death in man? It would, to get, it must, it's only this. Get man not to trust God. That's the only thing. <laughs> there is no other thing. That is the only thing. And how can that happen? By telling a lie about this. Because the moment you tell a lie, then the heart doesn't believe. If, if, if you tell a lie, the lie is believed. Then the heart doesn't trust. And when the heart doesn't trust, that which is good cannot enter or bring forth life in. That's it. So Satan knew, let me just lie about God. Because the moment I lie about God, and they believe the lie, then uh, they're going to die. And I'm going to destroy what God has made. <coughs> so here, he comes and he comes to Adam and Eve. And you know, God said to Adam and Eve, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for the day you eat thereof, you will surely die. Now, I want to just, just on a little side note, just explain the day you eat thereof, you will surely die. Um, you know, the way we think of it is that Adam and Eve died at the moment they ate of it, and then they didn't really die. And then they died later on. This is the way I interpret it, and I do believe that Scripture does give uh, a freedom to interpret it this way. The Bible says the, the, uh, a day to the Lord is as a thousand years. And a thousand years is just one day. If you even, uh, there, there are other scriptures that you go and read, can go and read, um, like the first and second book of Adam and Eve, where God came to Adam when he was put out of the garden, and he said to him, in five and a half days, um, I will raise you from the grave. I will raise you, I, I will raise you from the dead. I will put you, what he says, in five and a half days, I will put you back. In, at the tree of life. That is what he said to him. Now, if you read the, 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 the Greek Septuagint, which is the Greek Old Testament, and you calculate, calculate the years, 
you will see it was five and a half thousand years until Jesus. Okay? So even in the context of the Jewish mind back then, the, a day would be a thousand years. And you would see that Adam didn't make a thousand years. They always died in that same day. People couldn't become older than a thousand years. Nine hundred and something, the oldest. <coughs> so what God was talking about is, I want your life preserved, not just a spirit thing. I want you as a whole being to be preserved. And what the devil wanted to bring in our minds is that don't, don't, don't count even the physical death. That's not even important. Well, it was very important to Jesus. He came and physically died and was physically raised because there was a meaning behind all of that. He wants us to live in our bodies. He wasn't seeking for just a spirit somewhere. He was seeking for a human that has got that, that, that can consist out of spirit, soul, and body, but that is seen as a living soul. So here he comes and he says, I want this being to live. I want this being to live and not die. And Adam and Eve comes and they live in the garden. God is God is God is loving on them, God is good for them, and he's winning their hearts. And here Satan comes and he says, Well, I know what I'm gonna do. I'm going to tell a lie because if they believe and trust the Father, as long as they believe the Father, they will live forever. And I want to kill them. I've got a hatred towards God. And he said, Did God say you shall not eat of the tree? He says, God said, He says, God said, I shall not eat of it. I shall not even touch it, lest we die. And then he says, You know what? It's not true. God knows that the day you eat of it, your eyes shall be open, and you shall know good and evil, and be like God. So what he was saying is, listen, you know, he was trying to lie to them, and he was trying to say to them, listen, the, the moment you believe that you can be like God by knowing right and wrong, your eyes will be open, you will actually see how this system can give you life. You'll be like God. What does it mean to be like God? You will have immortality. You will live forever and not die. But you will not live forever and not die because you trust in God and God gives it to you. You will live and not die by looking at good and doing the good. And you'll have life by what you do. Now, when we look at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the word good, what would Adam's mind understanding be of good? There was a guy that they came to Jesus and they said to Jesus, good master, good master, you know, and Jesus said, why do you call me good? For there's only one that's good and it's God. And what Jesus was actually saying to the guy is, are you seeing that I'm God? Yeah. That's what he was actually saying. But the Jewish mind was, there's only one that's good in this world. So if Adam had this thing of the knowledge of good, what would the good be? The good would be God himself. <coughs> and evil, that word evil there in the Greek also means to be full of labor and annoyance or hardship or work. You can go and read it in the Greek, the Septuagint, which is the Greek Old Testament. The word, labor, the word evil there means hard work or labor. That's the meaning of it. So, what Satan said to Adam and Eve is, you know what? If you can just behold God and look at God 
and look at what he does and look at who he is and look at how he deals with things and you can work that you can just do that and you will be just like God in other words you will be just like God you will be immortal you will have life but the foundation wouldn't be trusting God the foundation would be copying God you hear what I'm saying? And did that seem to be a law by which you can have life? And Paul even quoted in Romans 7, he says, there's a law that seems to be unto life, but the end is death. And that's exactly what, 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 what God warned Adam and Eve. He said, what he was actually saying to Adam and Eve, he was saying to Adam and Eve, listen man, don't try and find your life in all the blessings that I give you. And don't identify your life in everything I've given you. Don't identify your life in looking at me and trying to do everything I do. We see it in Peter. In uh, John 13. Peter comes and, and he sees Jesus is going to die. And he says, you know what Jesus, I will also die. You're going to die and you're going to... And when you die, you're going to go somewhere. But I am willing to die to be where you are. And he said, Jesus, he said, Peter, Peter, don't try and do what I do. I'm going to do things so that you can do it. And he says, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. You see the belief? For I have gone to prepare a place for you. And then I will come and I will receive you unto myself. Okay? And what was the place that Jesus went to prepare for, uh, for Peter or for us? The place he went to prepare was a man at the right hand of God, above sin, that cannot die. Immortal. That's the place he went to prepare. He says, Peter, you want to do everything I do so that you can have that life? No! If you want to do what I do so that you can have life, you can deny me three times. There's a law that seems unto life, but the end is death. You are here to be the recipient of what I do. Don't try and do what I do to have life. I hope you hear what I'm saying. I always use this example, which, is, which I think is good. If you take a, if you take Lance Armstrong, he's a very good cyclist, and you know, to me, he, well, he was just very good. Although when you use the, the dope and the whatever, like all the other guys, it's okay. You know, I don't say you must do it, but for his time and what he's done, it was really good. Now if I go and I look at everything Lance did in order to be such a good athlete, and I take Lance and I, I document his life, and I want to have knowledge of his life, and then I'm saying, I'm going to do exactly what Lance did. And then I will have the life Lance has. Seven uh, uh, Tour de France titles. I'm going to have that by documenting Lance, putting him on paper, beholding what he's done. He got up at five in the morning, he drank a cup of coffee, and he watched TV for five minutes, then he did this, then he did this, and now I'm beholding Lance, and now I'm going to do Lance to be Lance. Lance is going to kill me. <laughs> I think that's where all those scriptures come from where the people in the Old Testament said and God killed them and God destroyed them 
and God killed them. It is trying to show to us that you cannot behold God and try and do God. The very thing you want to do is destroying you. That's what Paul said. He said, when I'm under the law, the more I want to do the law, the more I find I'm condemned to not do that. And I'm being destroyed. And he says, is the law good? The law is good and holy and everything. But I find this, this thing that when I want to do that, I can't. And I'm dying. The more, the, the more, Paul said, the more I want to do the good, the more evil is with me. I want to do the good, but then evil is with me. Good and evil. So don't eat of the tree. Don't believe that you can have life by trying to do the good. Because if you try to do the good and you want to have life by it, evil will be with you. Labor, annoyance will be on you. It will be with you. And you, Paul says, I am condemned to death and to a life of sin. So we find two laws. We find the law, there's a law that says, when your heart is persuaded of the goodness of God, then God, that goodness enters you and you share in the life of God. And then there's another law, the law of sin and death. And that law is, if I behold God and I want to do what God has done to have life by doing what I see in God, I'll die. You know what? That, that, you know that is why Adam and Eve could be deceived into this thing. They could be lied to because it. The Bible says it looks good. Mm. It looks right. He didn't come and tempt them with something that doesn't look good. He come and tempt them with something that looks very good. Something like be generous to all people, you know, and then you will live a good life in this earth. You can. I, you know, there's a principle. You can go and look at people. If they're generous, you find other people are generous with them. But now, just try and do that and find a good life by doing that. You'll see how it destroys your life. That's just the way it works. You can come and look at my life. You can, you can study my life and you can say, how many hours is badly studied? Well, I don't even know. How much does he think of the gospel? With how many people does he speak? You know? How does it, and you can document all of that and then try and do that. It will destroy your life. It looks, the Bible, Adamant says, it looked good, beautiful. It looked as if it is wisdom. It looks as if it is a way unto life. The thing that Adam and Eve was seeking when they partook of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was not to do something good to please God so that God can give them life. That was not what they were seeking. They were thinking they can have life, immortality, to live and never die by eating of the tree of the knowledge of good And then when they ate of it, God said, oh my gosh, man has now become like one of us by eating of the tree of the knowledge of good So what he was saying is, this is a godly being that now tries to find life by the knowledge of good evil. So, man was already like God, but he is now like God on the foundation of good and evil. He's not like God on the foundation of God loving on Okay? So, God said, I want to end this law. I want to write my law on your life. What is God's law? God's law is to have your heart persuaded of Him. 
That is what He wants to write on your heart. And then you will be to Him, a, He will be to you a God, and you will be to Him a people. What that means is, and what we have seen, He will be a God and we will be His people. We've seen it as, He will be a master and we will be His servants. That is not what it says. When it talks about a God, it actually says this, if I can write my law upon your heart, then I will be the author of your life. I will be the one that gives birth to your life. I will be to you a God and you will be to me a people. The way it is, the way we should understand the word God is the author, the father, the one that brings forth life. So you are, you've tried to be your own God by your own works. But if I can write my law on your heart, then I can be God in your life again and I can produce myself in you. That is what he was saying. And then you will live and not die. Now, with, with all of this said, and, and let me just summarize the second part. So what I'm saying is, the tree, of, we've got the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was the belief that if you look at God and behold all the good in God and do it, then you can live forever. That's what it says in Galatians 3 verse 12. It says, those that want to do the law, it says, this is what the law, the law is not of faith. Scripture says it. But he that wants to do them shall live by them. So you will have life by your works. You will preserve your life by your works. You cannot do that. That is impossible. It's impossible because of our desire. So God says, I'm going to write my law on your heart. What is the law of God? It is the principle or the thing that will give you life. Now we're going to go to Psalm 40 and we're going to just look at the law of God. What is the law of God? I'm going to read Psalm 40. From verse 5. The things I'm saying, um, you know, the, the, the reason why I say what I say is to get you just thinking in a certain direction so that you can go and study for yourself um, and, and see these, these things for yourself. Now remember, Jesus, when he was born, he was born a normal man, he lived on this earth a normal life. He was born a man under the law, you know, um, he was just uh, a, a normal Jewish child, grew circumcised on the eighth day. I do believe that Jesus, when he was upon the earth, followed all the customs of Moses, all the turtle doves, and all the sacrifices, and all those things. He lived as a normal Jewish boy. He had to follow all those customs, and all those feasts, and everything. I do believe, and I've read up on this, that, you know, a, 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 even Jesus' family, Joseph and Mary, they would have uh, animal sacrifice for their family. They had none. I believe Jesus was 100% part of that. And then here was Jesus. He didn't have a physical father on the earth. He only had God as father. And in his heart, he went to the, to the synagogue, he went to the temple, and he read the law, checked the law, and all those kind of things. And he, I believe he, was, he must have wondered, God, why the killing of all these animals? What is all this about? Why must these animals die? Why must they be sacrificed? Why must their blood flow? I don't understand. I know you are my father. I know I must be about my father's business, my father's things. And I'm at the temple and I'm trying to learn. And when we see Psalm 40, we see how Jesus got a revelation out of the Old Testament law. And out of the Old Testament law, he, he had a revelation of what the Father was actually saying out of all those Old Testament texts. And he got the revelation. 
And the Father convinced him by the Holy Spirit. And he then one day had this, what I call, an aha moment. When he could say, aha, this is what it's all about. And he says in um, Psalm 5, it says, um, blessed, Psalm, uh, Psalm 40 verse 5, it says, Many, O Lord my God, are your wonderful works that you have done, your thoughts which are to us worth. Now look at Jesus standing as a human, saying to the Father, I can now, I see your thoughts that's towards us. He doesn't even exclude you. He includes us. He says, this is your thoughts towards us. Us. They cannot be reckoned up in order unto you. If I were the clearest speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. Oh my gosh, you know, if you would say that to a Jew, that's crazy. But yet Jesus comes, and this is a prophetic prayer pointing to Christ, quoted in Hebrews 10 as well. It says, Sacrifice and offering you did not require. My ears have you opened. Burnt offering and sin offering you did not require. And then in, the, in, in, in Hebrews it says, But a body you prepared for me. Then I said, Lo, I come in the volume of the book, it's written of me. I delight to do your will, O oh my God. Yes, your law is written in my heart. Now let me explain that. Jesus comes, he reads the Old Testament law of all the wrath of God and the death. And he reads all the Old Testament law. And he comes and he says, you know what? In the volume of the book, it's written of me. I thought these were about sacrifices. I thought these were about out outbursts of anger. I thought this was about a God that demanded life to forgive. I thought about this whole Jewish, whole Jewish system. I thought about it that way. But all of a sudden, it says here, Oh Lord my God, how wonderful are your works. It, it, it says, You have opened my eyes. In the Afrikaans it says, You've dug ears for me. You've made ears for me. It says, um, and then it says, sacrifice and offering you did not require. My ears have you opened. Burnt offering and sin offering you did not require. So what he's saying is, the Father didn't need an offering. The Father was making an offering. He didn't need a sacrifice. He was making a sacrifice. That's what he was saying. He says, oh my gosh, now I realize what this is all about. I am the Son of God. God is my Father and He made a sacrifice. He prepared a body for me wherein I can actually carry the sin of the world. Where I, a body wherein I can convince mankind of the goodness of the Father that they can trust the Father again so they can have eternal life. Okay, so sacrifice offering did not desire. My ears have been opened. Sin offering you did not require. Then He said, Lo, in the volume. Now, you can go and check out that word volume there. Uh, it said in the in the volume of the book, in the roll, in the book, in the writing, you look at the, at the original of it, it actually means in the title. You know, they had those wooden wooden scrolls and then on the wood there was a title which would say Isaiah. Or it would say Ezekiel. Or the prophets, he says, in the title, in the address, it was. I, I realized that this whole thing was addressed to me. 
The Old Testament wasn't written as a list of rules on how the people, on what the people had to do to have salvation. It was God's prescription to Jesus. So that Jesus would know what to do to convince our hearts of the goodness of God. In the body, in the title, or in the, uh, uh, in the, in, in the fullness, the volume of the book, it is written of me. And I have come to do your will. And I realize that none of these animal sacrifices has got anything to do with a God that is demanding blood. It's got nothing to do with a God that is demanding a sacrifice. But it's everything to do with a God that's trying to convince His people. It's got everything to do with the goodness of God drawing His people out of the knowledge of good and evil and bringing them into the place where the principle that can give them life can now be written on their hearts. That's what it's got to do with. That's what the whole Old Testament has got to do with. That's why sometimes I get so frustrated when, when I teach this and you find somebody says, yes, but it's written. <laughs> and what's written is correct and what's written is inspired. What is written, I believe, is from God. You know, we, we get different schools of thought. My school of thought is that everything in the Old Testament is inspired of God. Every point of comma, everything is inspired of God. But it was not a prescription written to man so that we can know what to do to be saved. Neither was the prescriptions of rules by which we were saved and now Jesus did it for us and now we kind of, it's kind of imputed unto us in some kind of a way. It's not how it works. All of those things was written in such a deep, uh, uh, we were so blinded that we could never see it. It was actually, we were so blinded by man's way of thinking that it was written in such a way that Jesus, the Son of God Himself, came to a day when He said, Ah, oh, now I understand. <laughs> if Jesus said, You've opened my eyes, it means His eyes was closed. Are you understanding what I'm saying? We're talking about a revelation here. We're talking about God taking a man, putting that man inside our darkness. And now he knows the way this guy is going to save man is if this guy can believe me. And he's persuading him. He's showing him. And then one day, Jesus by the Holy Spirit, persuading his heart, says, I know what this is all about. <laughs> this is all about the principle or the law that has to be followed in order for man to be saved. And you know what that principle is? And what that law is? This is how that law works. Man sits in unbelief and is busy with his own works. And what I will have to do is, I will have to show them how I can save them without their works. I need to show them that. I need to show them how I will deal with all their sin. I will, sh I will have to show them that what they are chasing after, I can give them for free. And if they can believe that, and that can be written on their hearts, you know what? Then I have access into them, and I can make them immortal. <laughs> because they died. Didn't Jesus come and conquer death? Was the spiritual death? That's the question. No. <laughs> he says, touch me. Feel me. 
was physical death. On account of spiritual life. And he came to bring a spiritual truth that he can bring a physical life to man. Amen. That sin in the flesh can be conquered. That we can that we can conquer that we can conquer this thing called the fruit of the flesh. That we can actually have the fruit of the spirit now ending in eternal life of our bodies where we can even be raised from the grave. Amen. Sometimes it's difficult for me to, to teach this because we've got to make we've got to make such a massive shift in our minds. It's really a massive shift. And Christ has come to stop this. And he said, I see the Old Testament is all written towards me. The volume of the book is written of me. To do your will, oh my God. And then he says, Now that I understand the now that I understand what these laws are about, Jesus comes and says, Your law is written on my heart. And it's not about sacrifices. It's about me saving man. Let me explain a little bit about how distrust works, and I just feel reminded now to do that. If I, if, 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 a, um, if I come and I tell a lady, listen, I, I'm a very wealthy businessman or whatever, and I, I'm a very kind, loving person, and I fall in love with this girl, and, I say, and let's say she's a teacher at a school, and I say to her, um, listen, I love you, would you marry me? And she says, of course. And she's just so happy. And she goes and tells all her friends. She says, man, you know what? You will not believe it. That attractive guy that's so full of love, that's got everything anybody's possible ever desired, fell in love with me. And he asked me to marry me. And I said, yes. And you know what he said? He said to me, if you don't want to work, you don't have to. Everything is provided for you. Whatever you want to do, the money is there for you. You don't have to work. You know what I'm doing? I'm resigning my job. Amen. I'm, I'm being married. And imagine, like three months before they get married, somebody comes and starts to tell lies about the guy. And she starts to believe the lie. What would be the first thing that she would be thinking? I need a job. Because I'm dying and I need to live. I need to work to have a life. And that's what happened to Adam and Eve. They need to work to have a life. And God had to come and show them that they had to come and... Sh so, so, if this is the truth, if this has happened and this woman leaves him, goes back working to have a life, and all of a sudden, that salary that she has is not enough. It cannot buy her a car, it cannot buy her a house, it cannot feed her properly. It's too small of a salary. Taxes are increasing. She's just not making it. She's dying here. The only thing that will have to take place is this guy, of whom the lies were told, the only thing that he can do is, if, as his heart is burning in his love for this girl, he loves her as much as what he's always loved her. She's just deceived. And believing the lie, that's destroying her. You know what he will? He will have to go and win the heart again. That's the only way he will have to prove that those are lies. He will have to prove that, that, and he will have to offer her life again in such a way that she can believe it to the point that she will leave this work and be married to him. That is the whole thing. That's what God came to Jesus. He says, I've got to win the hearts of my people. And the only way he could do it was, let me become them, and then I will stand as them, 
before the Father, and I will simply believe the Father, and I will not work. I will not work. I will become their sin, I will become their darkness, I will become their death, I will become their curse, and I will not work to stop it. I will allow it to have its full course. But all I'll do is I will just trust the Father. That's all I'll do. And here, Jesus was born of a virgin. He didn't have his own sin. Then, in the baptism of John, he became sin. He took it on him. How? How do you take sin on you? By faith. He believed that if I'm baptized here, I am fully identifying with man. Because he was baptized at that place where all the sin was. Did I speak about that yesterday? He was baptized in that place. And when he was baptized in that place and he came out, the first voice of a loving father came from the heavens. And he says, my beloved son, I'm still well pleased. And nobody could believe that. <laughs> but he believed it. And then the father said to Jesus, Jesus, you became sin. Nobody was going to lead you. It's going to lead you to death. But trust me, I will make you immortal on the third day. Just believe me. And since this is not his death, but ours, since he didn't have his own sin, what does it say? It is an action that can restore the heart of man to trust the Father in him. That's all. God knew what had to take place to win the heart of man. God knew what would have to take place to win the heart of man. And did he? He came, he became a man, he had no sin, he took it upon him, he lived, he came and for three years did miracle after miracle after miracle. The Jews believed that if, if, you, were, if you had sickness, you were cursed. And Jesus came and he all the time said to the said to people, your sins are forgiven you. Your sins are forgiven you. Why? Because their sins were on him. And they were healed. Why? Because their sins were on him. They weren't healed because of Jesus' innocence. They were healed because of theirs. Because he became their sin. And as that was going on, he said, I want to just show you that I, I am in your works, in you trying to do it for yourself, sickness, disease, curse, death came on you. I am fully there. Let me show it to you. What do you define as a curse? I define hanging on a tree as a curse. Okay, I'll go and hang on a tree. So I can speak the language you understand. I, I, I am that curse. I am that death. You would look at me and you would say, beaten of God, smitten of God. But it's actually, I'm not smitten of God. It is the end of the works life that is on me. It's your life that's on me. And you know what I'm going to do about this hanging on this cross? I'm not going to remove myself from this cross. That's right. I'm not going to try and stop that sin. I'm not going to try and stop that death. I want to die the death of a sin. I want to die your death that you can once and for all see what I what my intent is with you. And he died in his son. Which is us. And the father remained faithful. And he raised that man Jesus up.
The Bible says in Romans 1, it says, without sin, without death. Giving eternal life. And in doing that, he came and he is now brought enough evidence that it can actually convince the human heart. And as we are now convinced of this truth, we find the life of God enters us. Mm. And now we have got the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is now in us. Mm. What is called the spirit of faith. I trust the Father. I've seen how He has already raised me up in Christ. I've seen how, how He has conquered my works righteousness, my law, and all the effect it brings. He's conquered it. And now it brings faith to me that I can say, well, if He died my death, and if He raised that life, is my life. Eternal life belongs to me. I don't have to work anymore. And this law of this salvation the law of what had to take place to win us and this principle that will bring us life was written on the heart of Jesus. Psalm 14. That's what it says. And he goes on, he says, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is written within my heart. Now listen to what Jesus says. He says, I have preached righteousness in the great congregation. Lo, I have not refrained my lips, O Lord. You know it. I have not yet your righteousness or your law within my heart. I didn't keep, quiet, keep it quiet. I have declared. Now listen to what the law of God is. He says, listen to this. He says, Lord God, you've written, Father, you've written your law on my heart. And this law on my heart is actually a body that you've prepared. In how to, like I just explained, save man. And then he says, this is your righteousness. Righteousness means equitable deed or good action or your goodness. He says, I have not hid your goodness within my heart. So he immediately says that the law is the righteousness of God here, he says. And now he goes on. He says, I have declared. He says, I did not hide your righteousness or your law in my heart. But I declared your law. And now he explains what this law is. I have declared your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your loving kindness from the great congregation. So what is the law of God? The law of God is how faithful He is towards man, how He saves man from what kills man, and how He's got loving kindness towards man. And He says, and your truth from the great congregation is the truth about who we are and who He is. That's the law of God. The law of God is how faithful God is to you. <laughs> the law of God is on how He saves you. The law of God is, on his, is, is the message of His loving kindness towards man. It says there is goodness, His faithfulness um, towards man, His loving kindness. Kindness, I want to just, um, man, I, I, I didn't write the definition there for kindness. It's going to take a little bit of time to, to find it. Is it okay if I just find it quickly? No, yes. Kindness talks. Kindness actually means to entertain someone until you win his heart. Loving kindness, the agape kindness of God, if we can say it at all. So He says the law that says I want to win them. The law of this is the law that will give life. The law of life. 
The law of life is, I need to be kind to them, I need to save them, I need to, be, uh, I, I need to manifest my goodness towards them, I need to manifest my faithfulness towards them. That's the law by which we can have eternal life. If Jesus doesn't fulfill that law, we can never live. And he says, I will write my law on your heart. He says, not like in the day when I led you out of Egypt, where, um, where it was commandments, external commandments. He says, which you cannot obey, and then I will not, and then I'm not able to give you life. So what God was saying is, God found fault with the law. He says, the fault with the law is, the law cannot save people. And I want to save them. So I will, in all that law code, when God spoke to people, He had a wonderful message woven into that, which was the salvation message. Glory to God. So, how many more for us? If we, how long have I preached? Do you know?
cannot have life by works. But we've tried to make it go to heaven. It's about having eternal life. You need it. We need to understand that. How does eternal life look? Very simple. This is how eternal life looks. If you go to the glass grave, there's no bones there. Okay? He's a physical man that you can touch and talk to that can fry fish. <laughs> because John says, the word of eternal life, we've seen it, we've touched it, we've held it. It came and lived amongst us. And we saw how our eternal life will look. An eternal life was not a bliss in the sweet by and by. It was an eternal life of the human body on account of the bliss of God's love towards that man. Where the love towards that man excites his mind and his intellect and his emotions so much that his body explodes into I cannot die. Let me explain to you what it means. It means God will, that which will give us life is so much love expressed towards us that as you hear this message, it makes you happy. It, it will be to the extent that the happiness causes your body to never die. It will love you with immortality. Immortality is not a spiritual thing. Immortality is expressed. The Jews didn't know how immortality looked. And then Jesus came and showed the plan of God with man. This is how eternal life looks. It is a man that's raised from the dead. And he was, it was not just a man. It was a man that had you inside him. Because he became you. Became your sin. Became your death. He raised you up. So that we now can trust and have that eternal life. That is what it's all about. That's what it's come to do. And Paul comes and he says, I am condemned to death. I am condemned to die. I am condemned under the law. Unto a life of sin and death. And then he goes in chapter 8. And in chapter 8 verse 1 he says, There is therefore now no condemnation. That word condemnation there means dying. Death. For though for them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, in other words, who doesn't want to fight their righteousness and their life by Judaism and laws, but after the Spirit, right? For the Spirit raised Christ from the dead. So those who say, I believe eternal life is mine, and the Spirit raised me up in Christ, and that is my life. And the Father, by His Spirit, will prove my sonship. He will prove my immortality. Even if I die, He will still prove it. For you, the graves will open up. The dead in Christ shall be raised. And those who have remained, those who are on the earth, shall be changed in the twinkling of an eye. And our salvation will not look anything different than when Jesus stood up out of that grave. Hallelujah. And you know what's the wonderful thing? Since we've taken from the dust of the earth this, this, this planet, as we explode into that immortality, creation waits for it. It will co-explode. So he says here, for the law. Uh, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of the sin and death. He says, when I've come to the place where I see that the spirit, the law of the spirit of life. What is that? When Paul talks about the law of the spirit of life, he must realize he's got something in his mind. It goes back to chapter 1 verse 1 to 6. It says, the spirit Jesus was seen as the son of God. To be son of God means you need to be immortal. He was proven to be the Son of God 
power by the Spirit that raised him from the dead. Now it says, this law of the Spirit that conquers our death, that can raise me up, that I can have immortality, free from my works, has now made me free from the law of sin and death. Why? Because I am not going to try to obey laws to be immortal anymore. I am simply believing and relying on my Father for He promised us that. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> he says, For what the law could not do, and it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the weakness, of, uh, in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. So listen, there's two condemnations here. When you're under the law, you will be condemned. But then someone with a greater condemnation came. And he, now condemned there means to die. He says, but Christ came and he condemned sin in the flesh. Amen. So he kills death. <laughs> Verse 34, let's read it. This is what I'm going to read now. At first will sound anti-grace, but listen to this. He says, Who is he that condemns? Question mark. Then it says, It is Christ that died, yes, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who makes intercession for us. Mm -hmm. Who is he that condemns? He says, Who will condemn me? Nobody. You know who's the guy that condemns? It's Christ. Mm -hmm. And how does he condemn? He condemned death. That's right. <laughs> you know at school you can say that you get this kid the one grass my dad is so strong my dad's truck can pull a big train and my dad's truck can pull even a bigger train my dad's truck can do this and the other one comes and he says my dad can kill death wow yes. he's bad <laughs> he's real bad how bad God. He's so bad that he opened up a whoop. Death. You, know, you, you don't look sure. Can I read a verse? <laughs> if you just find it, I think it's Hosea. Isaiah 13 verse 14 it says I will ransom them from the power of the grave I will redeem them from death O death I will be your plagues O grave I will be your destruction Amen. and repentance shall be hid from my eyes Great. God says I'm going to kill death and I will not repent <laughs> I'm going to destroy what the Destroy my people and will not repent. And he will come forth with such a powerful argument of salvation that when we see it and we don't want to believe it, the only conclusion is you don't want it. That's the only thing. So God has come to give us life. The only way that life can enter you is through belief. Amen. It's because of design. It's who we are. 
Amen. That's why we preach. That's why we share. And I want to let me end off with this. When I'm preaching here, I'm not the first preacher. Even if I go to the deepest bush in Africa and I preach, I'm not the first preacher. I, am just, I might be the first preacher that comes and confirms what God has been saying in their hearts all the time. Because God, Jesus said, they don't accept me because they have not accepted my Father. The Apostle Paul, he comes and he stands and he sees how they thirsty and he looks at the clothes. And after that he goes on a rampage, killing the church. And then when Jesus appeared to him, listen to these words. Jesus said to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goats. And goats talk about the pricking or the prompting of the heart. He said, Paul, or Saul, you know, I see the Father has been, uh, you know, working in your heart. And I see it's become difficult for you to resist His voice. So now I'm open to appear to you. Because now you can believe. That's, what, that's all. It was just talking about the Father's work in the heart of, of Saul. So don't let anybody tell you that there are people out there that there might be people out there that's never heard the gospel explained this way. But let me tell you, don't let anybody tell you there are people out there that the God the Father is not talking to. He's talking to people from conception. He puts them together. He talks with more powerful ways than preaching. Things like a prompting in the heart, a dream, a vision, a feeling. Do you think a Muslim that cuts out, cuts off another one's head? Feel, doesn't feel this heart, there's something wrong here. There's something the Father prompts. Yeah. Yeah. If we look at the Muslims, because the big question always, what about those Muslims? Have you born those villages? Do you want to tell me when you get closed up, you can only see this much out of your eyes, uh, out of the, you know, and you walk like that, and you get beaten by your husband because that law says you must do it? Do you think that there's not a voice in those people that say, there's something wrong here. And all they need to do is say, there's something wrong. And I believe that's already the first yes you said to the Father. That to me is when that seed, seed starts to germinate. That's inside the heart. And from there God walks walking with you. Paul, I believe in his heart, when he was sore, if it was difficult for him to kick against the toes, he had to come and sometimes say, God, you know, I'm so scared that I'm going to fall into this Christian thing. It, it looks as if it could be right, but please help me that I don't fall into this Christian thing. That is like a sinner's prayer. It is saying, I in my heart am starting to feel that there's life here. And it, 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 it looks beautiful to me. And, and I, I want to, that's why I said, you are kicking against it, but you find it difficult. Because there's something, your heart is starting to get persuaded. And that's why he said, he appeared to him, he says, this is who I am. He said, Lord, he went and preached the gospel. So, say to God, God, write your law on my heart. And uh, that's it. You know, and he will write his loving kindness, his faithfulness, and all those kind of things in your heart. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your goodness and your kindness. Thank you for your love and your grace. Thank you for a beautiful message this morning. 
that can touch our hearts. It's really blessed me. Uh, thank you, Father, for the way you've reached out to me. How you've conquered our sin and our death. How you've said, I, I want you, you are mine. And uh, how you've come to bring us to a place where we can believe. Because there's no other way. Thank you, Lord, that you have, in your wisdom, decided to make us beings that live by the persuasion of our heart. That we can have the full, the, that we can be full expression to who you are and that we can share in your life. Thank you, Lord. I don't want to be any other kind of a being. I just want to be a being that you persuade and where I can be born from you. Thank you for that, Father. I pray for every person that is here and as we fellowship this afternoon that we will just enjoy it and that your goodness will just touch our hearts. I also specifically feel, Lord, to just bring uh, people before you that might feel in their hearts, but what about this, what about that? I thank you, Lord, that all those questions shall be answered. But thank you, Lord, that we can know that the assurance of this truth is not found in the answering of every question, but in the spirit that brings the truth to our hearts. And in that truth, we can find the questions answered.